Welcome to Politics and Bros. This is the podcast where two guys who spent their careers on the inside of federal politics and government are now on the outside and only have each other to talk about how things are going. Today is February 14th, 2021, and this is episode 32. Happy Valentine's Day, Howell. You mean happy Galentine's Day? <laughs> did you I know what that wife, did you know what that was before she, today? No, I, I yeah. asked my wife if she had ever like celebrated Galentine's Day and she was like, no. <laughs> I swear I saw it yesterday. I was looking at cards yesterday at Target for my wife, and all of a sudden I I saw Galentine's Day section. I was like, what the oh hell is God. this? Capitalize um, on but is it the day but is it the 13th or is it the same day or is it no it's the same it's it, today oh, if oh. you don't have a significant other you celebrate your gals oh. can there be a bro day <laughs> can we start <laughs> that we here all, where we all go and gamble somewhere <laughs> <laughs> that's called july for us or uh, october right. yeah right october um yeah. bro day so we'll, we'll hashtag bro day we're, we're pushing that <laughs> Let's make it. Let's make it trending on Twitter. Um, oh, anyway, happy happy Valentine's Day to to you and and yours as well. Thank you. Same to you, buddy. Um, so, what's going on? Oh man. Well, for those who don't know, it's sub zero temperatures here in Chicago. So, mm. haven't been doing much. Three um, more inches of snow coming tonight. Yep. yep. I'm sick and tired of shoveling my walkway and my driveway. <laughs> our mailman is taken to just throwing our mail in the. Uh, <laughs> In our driveway, uh, for real, bit, he's got a little bit of an attitude. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, here so. in Oak Park, there's been this like uproar on all the uh, like Facebook pages about how people aren't receiving their mail. Like we have, mm-hmm. I see our mailman like he he's got this like um, one of those camping headlights uh, that he puts on his hat, and he just he's trucking away in the snow at 7 p.m. delivering all the mail. He's a super great guy. Mm-hmm. He always says hi to to the kids, and he's he's a good dude. But mm-hmm. I'm it's just funny that there are people in Oak Park who literally say they haven't received their mail in something like two weeks. Mm. Wow. That's weird. Yeah. Um, in good news, uh, my kids are going back to school. CTU and CPS finally came to an agreement Yay! Um, after what seemed like an intractable, uh, mess they've got themselves in. But, mm-hmm. um, my kids will be returning March 1st. So Hallelujah. Um, of course, it's only hybrid two days a week, but better than nothing. So, is there a plan to go to full five days at some point? That, no, I think no. that's the the fall. The, fall. the, the <laughs> yes, fall. they call it the next school year. Yes, basically. <laughs> um, let's just take what we can at the moment. So, yeah. uh, small victories. Exactly, we'll take them these days, and it seems like um, COVID. Numbers are dropping precipitously at this point, mm-hmm. of course, coming from very high peaks, but dropping nonetheless. Yep. Um, My mother received her second shot down in Atlanta okay. last week. Oh, nice. nice. She called me and, and basically- Which one did she get? Uh, she got Pfizer. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, regardless if it's Pfizer or Moderna, you're, you supposedly feel like crap after right. the second one. And everybody I've talked to that's received the second um mRNA vaccine have felt terrible for like 48 mm. hours. My mom, no exception, but, but she called me the day that she got the second vaccine, like all excited and happy. And I know she's dying to see, come to Chicago and see the kids or, and her have us travel to Atlanta. And I'm like, I'm like, we still haven't gotten it yet. We're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything or accepting visitors until we get vaccinated too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I mean, tough shit, mom. (laughs) Well, kind of, but I mean, I was, I was happy for her because she was excited and I, I should have, I should have reacted better than I did. I guess (laughs) is my point. Uh, Maybe it was a, hopefully you told her on Galentine's day. (laughs) Tough shit, mom. Love you too. Well, but anyway, we but we're going to be, little... but we're going to be vaccinated. We're going to have something like another 300 million vaccines available by the mm-hmm. middle of the summer. Vegas is not far away. I can feel it. Is that what you're planning our Vegas trip around? Us getting yes. vaccinated? The second, the second we're vaccinated, we're going to Vegas. Fauci called it called April open season for vaccines, right? Something nice. like that. Yeah. All right. Well, and Scott Gottlieb, who used to be the FDA commissioner, and now he's on the board at Pfizer. Um. He was quoted like a week or two ago, basically saying that by by end of May, uh, there should there should be no reason why you can't get a vaccine pretty readily. Okay, all right. Um, so, and this was prior to the big announcement from Pfizer that that the government purchased another whatever one hundred and fifty to three hundred million uh, doses of the vaccine. All right, um, let's and end we don't this even shit. Have, we don't even have the Johnson and Johnson one, which is the one and done vaccine. That's not right. that's supposed to be approved emergency approval for that's supposed to be in a few weeks, I guess. Um, so things well, are looking things are looking good. I guess. I mean, it's all relative, right? Mm-hmm. Um let's uh so for for just to refresh everyone, um, you know, we started this podcast to talk about politics and legislation and government that that mm-hmm. that we like to talk about. Um, when we were having our lunches at Chick-fil-A back in the day when mm. we used to go to offices. Um, <laughs> you you come from the the legislative branch and myself from the executive branch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think today in the absence of, you know, we're, we're, we're no longer um, subject to daily Trump scandals. So I think we were going to try to do a little little refresh and, and maybe talk about a little news first and then um, maybe do a little policy discussion second half. So um, start a little bit with the news uh, and maybe, maybe we can start with the, 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 the white house deputy press secretary, little mini scandal that, that you, you raised. What do you, what do you, you want to give the background there? Yeah. So TJ Ducklow, who's the uh, deputy press secretary. So he, uh, at the White House, he was actually the national press secretary for Biden on uh, the presidential campaign, and uh, it was re- it was reported not too long ago in People Magazine that he was dating a reporter mm-hmm. from Axios who actually covered the White House, and now that reporter she was going to be put on um, to cover Vice President Harris and progressives in Congress, so there were so there wouldn't be any conflicts. But then a week or so later, it came out that um, that Ducklow actually threatened the reporter who wanted to break the story for Politico Mm -hmm. um, and said he was going to destroy her career and, you know, know, probably some other things, but a lot of people said it was very, there's some very sexually charged comments that he made at her and, you know, bordering on sexual harassment and Mm -hmm. intimidation, things that, you know, were commonplace in the last administration. But um, apparently president Biden wants to hold his staff to a higher standard. Um, Good for him. But, um, so, it, you know, I think he he kind of admitted all that to his higher ups, the, you know, chief of staff and, and Jen Psaki, the um, the press secretary at the White House. And they ended up he ended up having to apologize and to the political reporter. 
and then they suspended him with pay or without pay for one week and of course the press corps jumped all over all over them because biden you know recently said you know publicly if you intimidate or make anybody feel uh inferior on the spot you were fired on the spot so of course that came back real quick and uh it turned out that jen saki the uh press secretary didn't they didn't raise this to the president it only went as far as the chief of staff and he kind of agreed with her that he should be suspended without pay for a week Um, you say chief of staff was was that ron clain ron clain yeah okay um and then i guess in the last uh 24 hours uh ducklow has actually resigned his position so Mm -hmm. um which is what he should have done uh, i mean it seems like they got to the right place at the end in yeah, the, again, I th- a week too long or so. Yeah, I know that. I know that there's going to be conservative and and right leaning press that's going to say he should have been fired on the spot, and probably more, not even right leaning any press. There's, I'm sure, there's several press outlets that sh- are going to say that he probably should have been fired on the spot instead of being allowed to resign. Um, but you know, you're right. The the outcome that was that should happen did happen. He's not going to be there anymore. I, um, and I think it's kind of I, I do think it's sort of ridiculous that they thought. Well, I, I understand it's it's new in the administration. He he is important to the president because he's been with him for so long. He's a he's a team guy, and you want to kind of protect and insulate these people as much as you can. But how do how do they not think that this wasn't going to be the outcome <laughs> at the end of the day? So yeah, I the the one thing I I will say is that um, while it's not uh, the the press insinuating that. The, the president is a spy for Russia. Um, mm-hmm. It is definitely the press doing its its fourth estate job and and yeah. and holding the the administration to account for its yep. behavior. So you know, chalk one up for uh, you know those who say you know the press does it does have. It's a duty to a bipartisan duty to uh, uh, attack yeah. or not attack, but check um, any administration. You know, I I've had friends who claimed the Praetorian media protected Biden, and you know, like like they they've chosen um, you know sides, but this is definitely an instance where you know they were doing their their duty of their profession and. Um, held someone to account and, and they were, they, they suffered the consequences. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I was on Twitter somewhere that they said, but this is his personal life, his romantic life. Um, he's the deputy press secretary for the president. And he has started a romantic relationship with a reporter who covers mm-hmm. that president. And, you know, I, I don't care what, what you do to try and window dress it in terms of fixing the situation by having her now cover the vice president. It's still an inappropriate relationship. Well, if they had, if he hadn't behaved the way he had, they might have could have figured out a way. Yeah, to true. But because of his inappropriate sort of threats and perhaps yeah. even the language he used, he deserved to be fired or not fired. He deserved to lose his position, whatever it was. Sure. You know, yeah. we talked beforehand that um, he he actually does have cancer, and so maybe they're trying to do something to keep him with his health care protections. Yeah. Um, but um, he deserved to probably lose his job if he did, in fact, do what he was accused of doing. True. Well, so, he's gone now. So he's we'll gone. Move on now. And we'll move on. <laughs> and let's move on to what surprisingly wasn't 
a, as big of a story as you would think it was, probably because uh, it was the the outcome was somewhat preordained. But um, the impeachment, the second impeachment trial of of Donald J. Trump concluded yesterday um, by a vote of is it fifty seven forty three. He was uh, not not convicted, I guess, because um, yeah, and of charges of inciting an insurrection on, on the Capitol. Um, I was commenting today to some friends that it's amazing how much, how little we did not talk about it this week. Um, and you know, why is that? Is it, is it because people want to move on? Is it because the the outcome was preordained? Um, you know, uh, did you have any thoughts on, on, you know, how it, how it unfolded and, 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 why, why or why not it did unfold the way it did? I, I think there's a lot more on the, this is like a, I feel like it's kind of a classic inside the Beltway, outside the Beltway kind of situation where the people on the inside the Beltway thought it was a way bigger deal than the people on the outside. I think a lot of people want to move on. They're, they're you know, they're relieved to have, like we were talking about in the last podcast, it's it's boring right now. There's not a lot to talk about, and the news mm-hmm. isn't shifting every hour on the hour anymore. Um, stories that were a story two days ago are still a story, and it's you haven't, you haven't had like three or four things come in since then. So, I mean, yeah, I understand there, you know, the, the political, the political kind of punditry and, 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 uh, and the people on the inside of the, inside of the beltway sort of upset about how the outcome or cheering on the outcome, but I kind of feel like people in the rest of the country don't, it's not that they don't care. I think they're just tired of it and want to move on yeah. now. Um, I personally think, and I, God knows I could be wrong in four years that his, his brand has com- been completely destroyed. Um, and I just don't see how he has a political future, but that's me saying that now and knowing how crazy things can get. I said in 20, you know, 16 that he had no shot at winning the Republican nomination and yeah, much you're not bad in a thousand. Yeah. So, I mean, my opinion, then again, I am a rational human being. His, uh, his political career is over and we shouldn't give it too much thought anymore, but I am proud of some of those senators that voted, um, uh, Senator Burr from North Carolina, Senator Cassidy from Louisiana, were I think the two big surprises. I'm glad that they they did that. And some of the quotes from Cassidy was great. I mean, you know, he said he weighed all the comments and all the evidence, and he felt that the president was responsible, and that's why he voted the way he did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he also love- it was also hilarious that he basically, after the day one, um, was like. I don't know what the defense lawyers are doing out there, but they're not right. making a very good case. Right. And I think he may have made up his mind at that point. It's like, if you guys aren't even going to take this seriously and 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 really yeah. address it, I'm I'm gonna I feel free to vote how I how I feel fit. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, and McConnell's floor speech, and I know he's getting, you know, shitted on because he voted Shat to upon. quit. Shat upon. But um, his floor speech was amazing. I mean, it really was, um, despite him voting the other way. And I think I think there is a legitimate case to be made that this was it was unconstitutional. He's not a sitting president. You can't impeach, you know, a former president. There is a I, there is a legal argument to be made. I personally wouldn't care about that argument. I'd still vote to convict. But um, I think there is a legitimate argument to be made there. I, 
I feel like they've. I don't know how you up. feel, but I feel like they've opened up. They've basically made the executive um, completely unaccountable to <laughs> to sure. Congress. Um, you know, uh, and not just this. Throughout Trump's presidency, they they yielded power to him. When I, my hope when Trump came into office was that the 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 Congress would take back some power from the executive, but True. Um, but in this case, they've now created this fictional January exception where um, if you're not a sitting president, you 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 can't be. Try, you can't be tried. So theoretically, Joe Biden or Kamala Harris could commit an impeachable offense um, and then resign. And then based on what the, the, the logic, yeah. the, the, the president, the, the senators um, argued this week and their lawyers and Trump lawyers, they could they would not be held accountable. So I think that's dangerous. I don't think that should be allowed. Yeah. Um the other thing is, is um, you know, a lot of it was the reason it was. There were complaints that it was done too fast, but then also uh, should not have happened because he wasn't a sitting president anymore. So, but and it was wasn't it wasn't done because McConnell refused to hold, which is fine. He refused to hold hearings while he was still um, the majority leader, which is fine. But then you can't also say. Well, we, we couldn't do it while he was still president. Anyway, it was just a mess. I I, yeah. I think they have opened up, um, like I said, more power for the executive. And and I think it's all somewhat short-sighted because I, I would imagine if that had been a secret ballot, it would have been 90-10 <laughs> and maybe 85-15 because Trump does nothing for – for them except keep them backed in a corner and they and if, if the quicker they can get rid of him and off of the 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 GOP uh, ledger the better for everyone they don't have to be scared of a tweet or being primaried by one of his minions i mean did you hear what lindsey graham said about burr about laura trump he said, oh, no. this was the best thing to happen for Laura Trump because he's certain she'll now be the nominee for North Carolina in 2022. And I thought, well, that's well, terrible. An idiot. That, Lindsay's that's Lindsay's stupid an idiot <laughs> because now you're going to lose North Carolina. Well, um, and Lindsey's an idiot because Burr's not running again. <laughs> he's retiring. Well, that's so. what he means. He means that because Burr voted, it's going to charge up the Trump base in oh, North Carolina. And Laura Trump will win her the primary and be the 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 nominee for the Republican uh, Party for the Senate seat. And I said, okay, well, you know, do that. And what? And you almost lost to a a good candidate, or you almost lost a good candidate to Cal Cunningham this past mm-hmm. this past uh, election. So imagine if you put Laura Trump up versus. I'm sure the Democrats will nominate someone strong in North Carolina because they see it yep. as a chance to to swing a seat and you'll lose your you'll you'll fully lose your your even uh senate so yep. it just seems short-sighted I, I wonder what you think about you know what kind of what the vote says about where Republicans are with respect to you know they've got to like try to keep Trump at 
arm's length, but also try to move on. Yeah, they're not. Well, they're not out of it yet. They, they, I think, I think they need to get through this election, next election cycle, the twenty twenty two cycle, to actually be out of it. And the base is just too much right now for some of these folks to 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 upset. And that's pretty sad. I mm-hmm. I admit that, but um, you know, a lot of these folks they just they they're too afraid. I mean, you've got Rubio is worried about Ivanka. Yeah. challenging him in Florida. I mean, she, she's now a resident of Miami. Um, and you know, side note, it's funny that she's worried about uh, Trump holding Marjorie Taylor Greene so close because with her Jewish laser conspiracy because <laughs> Ivanka is technically Jewish and right. doesn't want to lose the Jewish, Jewish vote in Florida if she were to run in 2022. <laughs> um, but I think they need to, I, yeah, they need to get through one election cycle to sort of see where they're at. Um, and they're too afraid to do that now. Um, but I mean, um, if, if it's, that, it's dad, do you, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I would imagine you feel the same way. If that was not an impeachable offense, what is it's, I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, there is, there are arguments to be made. You know, I think some of the arguments that were made about how, Democrats have used the same type of rhetoric. Um, mm, I don't I think, know about that. Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on. No, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not done. Okay. And I think that's a fair point to make. I think the biggest difference was is that he didn't say they weren't using that rhetoric in front of a crowd that was already that was ready to Primed. do it. Yeah. Um, who had been told for two months that the election was stolen from them. Um, so I think I think it's. I think it, it, it just goes to show that it, I think it's the point I'm trying to make is that I think everybody needs to kind of tone down their campaign rhetoric a little bit here. Um, everyone should and, and get back to civility. And I, I, that's why I kind of like how we've structured this, this podcast that we're going to actually talk about serious policy discussions yeah. that might actually start happening again that we haven't seen in years. Um, you know, even probably before Trump. I mean, I think a lot of the policy discussions really died uh, after the ACA passed. Oh, oh, um, yeah, and it's we really haven't had a substantial Immig- immigration reform. May have been the only other thing that was yeah. kind of yeah. And it it's just it, I, I want to get back to that. I think that's what we need to get back to: smart people doing smart things. And if they're you know if it's dumb people doing things, and we call them out on it, but it's a policy policy discussion, not a uh, not a political one. Well, the last thing. I will say is that I I do think that they have effectively um, uh, neutered impeachment for the foreseeable future as a a check on the executive. Um, But to your point, I I have noticed and things are generally getting back to somewhat of a normal um, uh, one (laughs) One thing that, or a couple things that I've noticed over the last few days that I've seen published by Fox. Fox was outraged by John Kerry's use of a private plane to um, go somewhere, which sounds sounds as, as the climate czar. <laughs> yeah, sounds sounds like sounds very familiar. Um, there was another Fox uh, article about Biden struggling with the teleprompter. So I'm like, yeah, this is this is it, man. We're yeah. back. We're back to to complaining about about things that really don't matter that much. I mean, yep. you know, um, Kerry probably, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't read the whole article. He probably, sorry, one second. He um, 
probably could have gotten away with flying commercial and probably used a, I don't know, but it's not a big deal. It's all that, it's all that ketchup money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, <clears throat> all that is to say, nice to be returning to normal and let's talk a little policy. So Yay. this is, a. This is your realm, so I'm going to be teeing you up here. Um, the first thing I I wanted to to ask about, which I was I I've heard the term um, before, and I know they they seem to go through it um, at every is it every new Congress or is it every it's every year every year, um, and that's the the votorama, and it it is it a is it a um, I know that's not the formal term for it, but um, what is it? And, 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 you know, I know they're like all night sessions. So like mm-hmm. what, what's the goal of, of Votorama? And it's the budget. So, I mean, it's, it's supposed to happen every year. There have been times where we, there has not been a budget Votorama because there hasn't been a budget. Um, a couple times uh, I can think of during Obama's last couple of years, there was a, there was, there wasn't a budget for a couple of years. So they actually mm-hmm. didn't do these things. Continuing um, resolution, so- yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I can only really speak about it. I don't, I don't remember doing one. I don't remember them when I worked in the House because that was so long ago. But I definitely, I did them in the Senate a couple times, and it's, it's what it is. It, you, the budget resolution's coming up. It is your opportunity as a senator to file as many amendments to it. And these file, the thing is, is these amendments don't. If they're, if they were to pass, they don't have the force of law. They're mostly mm-hmm. just statements of policy, um, a wish list, if you will. Um, but they are voted on up or down. So if, you know, if it doesn't pass, it doesn't make it in, but even if it does make it in, that doesn't mean there's something's going to happen. So you basically, the way you structure your amendment is uh, to create a, an account of some kind where X amount of money would be put in um, or an undis- uh, undisclosed amount of money would be put in to do, you know, whatever you want, um, hire dog catchers for every city in the country or whatever, like something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, some members really get into this and it is a time, like I said, a statement of policy. So you'll see Bernie Sanders doing everything, 15, $15 minimum wage, Medicare for all housing as a human right. Um, you'll see, you know, Rand Paul doing, you know, social security, private accounts and, you know, disarming the FDA and, you know, all these other things. Um, and some guys get really good. They'll file 10, 20, 30 amendments. And a lot of them, if you want to vote on them, you're, you can ask for the vote. So you could have, you know, a ton of amendments to vote on and, but it has to be done during the debate. So usually the voting kicks off at like 5 PM and they won't finish until three, four, five o'clock the next morning. And you just go in rapid fire. You just keep on and you debate them for a couple minutes and you go to the next vote. Then you pull up the next amendment, debate it for a little bit. And then you, vote and then you just keep going until you make it through and normally the majority leader and minority leader will come to an agreement on what they'll convince people to not ask for votes on their on their amendments and mm-hmm. just to kind of just to kind of uh cut out some of those some of the time so they're not there until five in the morning mm-hmm. but um the latest i've been at a budget voterama is three thirty in the morning four in the morning something like that i remember uh when i was working in the senate uh for jim dement from south carolina we had budget voterama and uh, I was supposed to catch a train to New York City the next day because my girlfriend, now wife, uh, we were going to visit some friends of hers up there. And uh, I got home at 4.30, packed, showered, or, sorry, packed, slept for an hour, got up, showered, went to work, left f- to get on the train at Union Station at like, I don't know, noon or one, 
got to New York. I was so tired uh, that night. We were out at a at a bar, and I was talking with one of our friends, and I literally fell asleep mid conversation. <laughs> at like it was like eleven, and she was like, "Did you just fall asleep?" I like, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Drooling. But um, yeah. So it's you know anything these anything these senators whatever their big issue is climate change you know. But like I said, Medicare for all, they can do these amendments. They have no force of law. They're just statement of policy. Oh. Um, Ceremonial, it sounds like. Yeah, it's yeah, more or less. But um, but it, it does get it is an opportunity politically to get people on the record. So, you know, if you want to mm. try, if you think there's a vulnerable senator coming up in cycle, you want to. I mean, there is some political gamesmanship there where you want to file an amendment that's going to force them to vote on it. So they've got to explain themselves when they're campaigning the next year, trying to win back their Why seat. They vote against it, or yeah. yeah. So defund the police. I mean, I don't actually. I don't even know if that was one that was filed. It probably wasn't, but just that's an, that's one thing. Like if you know that, um, you know, a Democrat who's who's in a red state or a or a purple state, um, you know, you might want to try and get them on the record for wanting to defund the police, and then use that vote against them. So it is, there's, it's ceremonial, but it's also, there's definitely a political um, aspect to it for sure. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. I thought, um, is most of the stuff related to the details around the budget that's already been hammered out before Votorama? Are there many surprises during, during that evening? No. Okay. No, it's pretty much, I mean, you know, if you want to try, if we, you know, I would say that um, you want to get as many people. If you're a Republican, you want to get as many of those Democrats on Medicare for all as you possibly can, right. and then use it against. You know, some aren't going to care. Bernie Sanders isn't going to care. Hell yeah, I'll vote for that. But mm-hmm. you know, if you're a Southern Democrat, like say you're Doug Jones from you know Alabama, who's no longer there, but if you you want to get him on record saying he supports socialized medicine, because mm-hmm. um, they don't like that in Alabama. <laughs> Right. So even though he's not really doing it, you're not really doing it. The government's not really creating a program, but he's in favor of it. He voted for the policy. So he must be, that must be what he wants at the end of the day. Man, I love politics. Uh, I don't Uh, think I've, I don't think I remember dealing with a vote that actually was not political or not, you know, wasn't there to be cute by half you know, somehow. Interesting. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the, the early kind of highlight policies that have been thrown out there. Um, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the, uh, I think it was going to be included in the COVID relief package was, was, uh, so was the $15 minimum wage. Now what I've seen is Biden doesn't think, it will survive um, and is willing to maybe part with it. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, what well, then Senator what think? from Arizona was basically like, no way. She said no to $15 minimum yeah. wage. On, on the COVID relief bill. Oh, as part of that, not, yeah. not as like a post. Okay. I don't know if she's, I don't know if she's opposed to it, for, you know, blanket opposition, but I think for sure on that vehicle, she was like, no, we're not doing that. And that you think that's what, led biden to say you know let's let's that that can be put on the chopping block or that's a, yeah that's, that's negotiable 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he also wants to wanted to run a cleaner bill than starting to throw on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's and it's not like fifteen dollar minimum wage isn't you know partially you know relevant to a COVID relief bill. You want people to work again and make money, right? Um, but that's I don't know. I don't really think that's the you know the purpose of the COVID relief bill. I mean, it was more vaccines. It was better screening. Right. It was to get people those you know new new. Uh, new checks PPE PPE PPE. yeah PPE um (laughs) what do you think about I mean and we were talking beforehand um what do you think about $15 minimum wage uh just in general like I I mean regardless that number I don't know what the current minimum wage is um my my basic understanding of economics is says that you know you raise the economic, the minimum or the cost of labor across the board, you're going to raise prices. But um, people seem to say that won't matter in the case of $15 minimum wage. I know. Do you have any thoughts on, on the issue? I mean, federally speaking, I mean, I think there are states that can pull it off just fine. Probably, Uh, you know, Illinois is going to $15 minimum wage incrementally over the next couple of years. Um, other states have done it. I do think there are huge issues with it in terms of small businesses and being mm-hmm. able to afford that. I think you cut back hours or you don't hire as many people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the natural thing to happen. I think that's generally accepted economic, you know, results to a 50 mm-hmm. result to a $50 minimum wage. Um, but there is there. It's not like there isn't benefits to it, and I think this is one of the things I'm kind of excited about. I I used to work at a think tank, and it, I did healthcare policy, and I used to go around talking about why we shouldn't do the ACA, but why we should look at other things. We need to be honest about it, and you know, my biggest thing was, you know, the 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 big, you know, Obama said you could keep your healthcare plan and your doctor if you wanted to. And I knew that that was just wrong. And I think a lot of people intuitively probably thought that was wrong. It's okay to say that you, if you're trying to get policy passed, you need to be upfront about what the the good things and bad things are. You're not going to be able to keep your doctor, but that doesn't mean this isn't a good thing or something like that. I feel the same way with $50 minimum wage. I think you weigh the pros and cons and then vote how you want because more people, people who are, are in poverty will make more money. That's a good thing. But a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. That's mm-hmm. the bad thing. And those are kind of the two aspects of a $15 minimum wage that are not in dispute, where Democrats cherry pick the, oh, we're going to bring X amount of people out of poverty with this. And then Republicans cherry pick the, well, you're going to have a million people lose their jobs. <laughs> um, you're both right, but that doesn't necessarily... You which, know, you, yeah, which, which do you, you prioritize? Yeah, what are you going to prioritize at the end of the day? And it seems like more and more data is coming out that people can, that businesses, especially ones like Amazon that are already offering higher wages than that, are going to be just fine. But there are the small businesses, you know, family-owned restaurants, Not the, I'm not talking about the chains, um, that are going to have a huge problem where instead of hiring some kid from high school to, you know, bus tables and wash dishes... Um, which where they would normally pay them seven to seven twenty five or seven fifty an hour. Now they're going to probably take those people that are making fifteen and add to their duties. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, you're a line cook, but now you've also got to wash dishes and sweep mm-hmm. the back, you know, the back of the restaurant or something like that. So, it's important during policy debates to 
to prioritize, you know, what is, what do you think is the bigger priority? Is it jobs or is it more money? Because, you know, one is well, you're going to actually lose jobs with a fifteen dollars minimum wage. But yes, the people who do are going to have those job have jobs. They are going right. to get more money. So, okay, that's just kind of where I'm at. Well, but for the record, but for the record, I'm against it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just don't like it. I just don't like uh, a being federal. You know, it's well, a, I don't. It's the federal. I think it should be a state thing for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there is a federal minimum wage already, but. Um, it should be a state thing because cost right. of living is not uniformed across all 50 states. It's much more expensive to live in New York than it is in freaking, you know, right. Oklahoma. You may, so. you may not need a $15 wage to live in, in yeah, like, uh, yeah. uh, North Platte, Nebraska. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I say North Platte cause we drove through there twice on the way to Utah. So, um, it's also, it's pretty, it up. yeah. Um, <laughs> the other policy, uh, big policy, proposal that came out the last week or so was uh, our favorite Senator Mitt Romney has unveiled a, a child payment plan for the government. Um, mm-hmm. And it's essentially a check, right? For, yeah. I believe $600 for, no, I'm sorry. I can't remember exactly what you may, you, I think you read up on it. It's uh, 4,200 per year for children up to age six and then 3000 per year for children okay. between yes. six. 17. Yes. Um, and everything I've read has indicated that this is a very serious proposal that, you know, I've seen headlines like Romney's trying to save the Senate and, and Congress as its role within legislation. Um, what, have you taken a look at it and, and do you have thoughts on, on, you know, what it's made of and, and if it'll go anywhere? I mean, I doubt it's going to go anywhere. Yeah. But well, nothing goes anywhere. Nothing goes anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is complicated, right? He's getting rid of TANF, which is the well, the welfare program, the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program, which is a block grant. Um, you know, I kind the way for, I've haven't read the actual bill language, but from all the things that I've read about it, he might be either shifting the earned income tax credit and the child care tax credit. You know, phasing those out in order to help pay for this, which those both of those things have their issues anyway. Um, but the point is, is that he's thinking outside the box through, I mean, I would argue um, a market in a market oriented way um, to bring children out of poverty. And he's backing it up with evidence as to the benefits of not having a, ch- not growing up in poverty is the reason for doing that. And he's not the first Republican in the last 10 or so years to introduce a plan where you're getting rid of all these government programs and then bringing in a new one. Um, I mean, even Rand Paul, he had a healthcare plan that basically would have put all people on the, um, um, on the um, federal employees health benefits program, which is the health, the health plan for members of Congress and staff and the, and federal employees. Um, it would have gotten rid of Medicaid, um, it would have actually gotten rid of Medicare uh, as well, or not Medicare. I'm trying to think. I can't remember if it's Medicare or Medicare supplement plans. I forget. But anyway, he would have gotten rid of a bunch of other programs and put all put these people onto a new one that was probably, maybe could contain costs better and would be better, you know, provide more benefit uh, than what was currently being offered. So it's I like these big bold ideas like this, though. Um, yeah. 
I think uh, I, I took my hats off to him for doing this. Cause I think it's, um, you know, like I said, big, bold ideas is what you want to do when you, and that's what these guys used to do up until about 2009 or 10. They used to come, come to Congress with these big, bold ideas. And I think I said on the pod, this is something that Paul Ryan probably loves because he was very much into trying to, trying to find market oriented solutions, uh, to deal with poverty and to lift people out of poverty. Um, as, as someone, um, who came from the executive, I will say, I'm always skeptical of sort of, um, you know, shifting uh, programs in a way mm-hmm. around. It's almost the equivalent of executive branch shuffling of papers. But you know, I'm always I'm I'm always willing to give something a chance uh, to be better. Um, the mm-hmm. other the other thing I've heard about the the his his proposal was that uh, one of the I guess it's an intended consequence would be that it would encourage more um, childbirth, um, which mm-hmm. uh, uh, America has a has a a problem with, um, yep. and that would be another positive that you know people wouldn't necessarily be afraid of having a child because of what it would cost them. So you know, I'm I'm all for something that co- that does that. Well, it's it's funny because so Chicago Sun Times, which is not a conservative rag <laughs> at all, uh, actually, uh, I, I I would say they applauded him for this, and they mm-hmm. actually called it a pro life proposal mm-hmm. um, because I think you're the child is eligible for the first check four months prior to birth or something like mm-hmm. that, three or four months, and um, you do there's you know I it. it it gets to that argument that I hear all the time from from people who who snipe back at, at pro lifers. You you care about you care about them until, until they're, they're born, born. and, and yeah. then you don't give you don't, you don't give a shit about them after that. Um, and this kind of gets at that a little bit in my mind. Yeah. Um, it shows that you do care what happens after they're born. Um, and that's another. It's, I think that's part of the genius too of this thing. Now, like I said, I don't know if this is practical. I don't know if getting rid of TANF because TANF is a block grant program. It's not a very large one. I think I think it's somewhere around eighteen billion, um, maybe more than that by now. Um, when I used to work on it, it was only sixteen point one, but that was in two thousand five. So I'm sure it's a little bit larger now. But um, you know, I don't know what it means to get rid of the child tax credit. I don't know. I don't know how much money that raises. I don't know how much money it raises to get rid of the earned income tax credit, and maybe that pays for it all. Um, but. I think uh, Mitt coming out of the box here with a really big idea is pretty pretty spectacular. Would someone like the CBO score this? Oh uh, yeah, I think so. I think I mean, they would. He could put in the request. Um, so the way it works is you put in the request through once you introduce the bill, and it gets referred to a committee. So I'm assuming this bill would get referred to Senate Finance Committee. Mm-hmm. You can ask the chairman. Um, or the ranking member uh, to submit it to the CBO um, for score. Uh, score is basically how, what what you call when you find out how much a bill costs. Cost. Yeah, um, he could Romney could, but he's not a senior member of the committee, and they'd probably expedite it if it was a request by the chairman or the ranking member, um, the ranking Republican. So, well, I'm sure I'm sure he would want to do this, but also that doesn't stop. Um, outside groups from scoring it themselves. There are think tanks out there that have the, the, the computer capability um, to analyze the data and actually come up with a score of their own. It might be off 
by some amount, but there are groups out there that can model this and, and come up with a, a price tag. And we'll see if the Republicans trust the CBO scores um, when they're even in their own policy proposals. Um, yeah. That was if, that if was, it's favorable, they will. <laughs> right. Right. And it saves a bunch of money. They will. <laughs> <laughs> right. But this yeah. is, I think this is awesome. Like I said, a couple of podcasts when, uh, ago when we were talking about um, uh, income inequality, like there is this Republicans should not pass up this opportunity. It is free market to talk about income inequality and addressing that. I mean, more people working, more people earning money. That's what you want. Um, closing the wage gap is this is these are the things that Republicans should be talking about and they should be seizing upon it and not letting it pass them by. Well, we'll find out. Uh, I hope you feel the same way, Howell. <laughs> about what? Finding that, 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 out? Well, yeah, well, finding. I don't. Out, but... I don't get supercharged for for policy. Um, you know, it, it, discussion. I'm. You know, as I've said on this, I'm all about the. As long as the conversation takes place and people have legitimate, serious conversations, I'm pretty confident that we have smart people that can get to the a place where it's a good place to at least try from. Um, and that's really what I believe in. And, and I want to protect that. But um, I spent so. two years of my life when I worked for Paul Ryan working on social security reform uh, yeah. when that was actually a big deal during the Bush. Nerd years. alert. And uh, Paul had a bill with um, that he wrote with John Sununu, Senator from North, from New Hampshire, who's no longer in the Senate, but um, it was a bill that established private accounts it's for, for yep. social security for people uh, younger than 55. If you were older than 55, nothing changed for you. You still received. Uh, there was still the full faith and credit of the United States government that even if the stock market crashed, you would get what you would have received otherwise under the traditional social security system. So there was, you know, a, 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 a protective, you know, protection clause in this bill. But I mean, it's the same thing. It's a big, it's bold, yeah, you got to explain it because it's a policy wonky kind of thing, but that's what these guys are supposed to be doing, solving big problems. I mean, Social Security still has a massive unfunded liability. There are less workers per retiree now than there were uh, even 15 years ago, 10 years, five years ago. So, the, you know, you, without big changes, and of course, nobody wants to raise the retirement age and nobody wants to cut benefits. So what's left to do except trying to think outside the box mm-hmm. and come up with ways to to address the problems. And we see what that got Paul Ryan and John Sununu. Big bag of nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, I'm glad they tried. Uh, and we need more trying. Um, people, our last note here in the policy discussion is, is the most the most important senators for the next two years, at least, will be Senator Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema from Arizona, the first openly bisexual senator. Yes. Is that that's correct, right? That is, that is correct. Yeah, um, runs you know, marathons and triathlons all the yeah. time, apparently. Uh, but I, I guess I would say, to me, it's comfortable that you know. It's comforting to me that like these these are the two that people are going to be running sort of policy ideas through to see if there's the temperatures right for 
you know, compromise and, and starting discussions around, around those rather than, um, you know, someone like Bernie Sanders being the, or, uh, uh, you know, Ted Cruz. Um, so it's they, interesting be too, a, cause they've Kelly, already flexed their muscles too, from my understanding. Yeah. And then uh, I've heard, I've read a lot too, that Mark Kelly, the new Senator from Arizona who just got elected, um, uh, he might be in that group too. Cause he's not, I mean, you're from Arizona. You're not, you're not, right. a, you're not, a, you know, crazy progressive. You're Blue dog. centrist. Yeah. So it, I think those three mansion cinema and Kelly, it's going to be fun to watch them and how they react now. I mean, they're not going to be, you know, on every issue that I would want them to be, but at least they're going to, at least they're going to slow things down enough to where you'll be a little bit more methodical about how you address some of the, some of the issues that come before the Senate. Yeah. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, well, fun. Was the, the, did you did you did you tingle talking about all that yeah. stuff as we went? I loved read. I just liked reading about this stuff again, finding <clears throat> finding all the background information. And I mean, like I said, uh, go read the um, Chicago Sun Times piece on Romney's plan. They actually love it. I mean, I, well, I don't know if they love it, but they spoke of the 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 common the commentary. Um, or the columnist was not critical and actually yeah. liked the fact that he was doing this, this sort of thing. And their, their last paragraph, she starts with, uh, this is what policymaking is supposed to look like. Yeah. Um, with any I luck, mean, Romney's, with any luck, Romney's proposal will at least spark a debate on a critical challenge for our country. A few years ago, perfect. that would have been normal in 2021. It would be Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I like any references to Nirvana. Um, so let's wrap this up uh, with what we're into. Would you like me to go first? Yeah, you go first. Okay. So uh, I am into this something called Apocalypse Sports Trivia. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> my buddy Jeff Leader a couple months ago invited me to this online trivia um, group. There's about 350 of us now, and it's kind of set up like a premier league where you can get promoted and um, demoted relegated. based on your perform relegated on your performance. And the, the, the funny thing is it's, 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 it's honor system. So, you know, you get five questions every night for a fort for a fortnight. So Sunday through Thursday night and then Sunday through Thursday night. And, um, you have to answer them with, you have 24 hours to answer them and you kind of, there's also a def defensive aspect to it too, where you can like strike out one of your opponent's questions. Um, so it's a little bit of sports trivia with some, some gamesmanship thrown in there. Uh, yeah. And it's really, really hard. Like if you, if you don't use Google, um, which I'm sure some people do. I, I do not, but I'm, I'm batting like I get about 35% of the answers, right? Um, actually, let me give you a couple of, is there questions. a buy-in or something? No, it's just for fun. Just, oh, it's just for fun. Okay. okay. Sports nerds. So, um, this is the last, last question from, from last Thursday night. Uh, or here's a couple of questions. Doug Williams is one of the few Super Bowl winning quarterbacks to have played at a Division II school. 
though by his senior season, his school had trans- transitioned to Division One and plays today in the FCS. Name the school and his and name his legendary college coach. So, um, I got it wrong. I got it wrong. He, I knew he played at Grambling. Uh, uh-huh. His coach, his coach was Eddie Robinson, which I didn't Eddie know. Robinson. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're talking about Grambling, it's always so. A hundred and ninety of the three hundred and fifty-seven people in the game got it right. So fifty-three percent. Um. Uh, and then let me give you one more. I'll give you one I got right. Okay. Name the Hockey Hall of Famer who won the 1993 Hobie Baker Award as the NCAA's most valuable player, made seven NHL All-Star games in a 15-year career, Ducks, Avalanche, Predators, Blues, won an Olympic gold medal in 2002, and whose name is a homophone with a well-known region of the globe. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. It's Paul Correa. Oh, Um, Paul Correa. And 199 of 357 got that right. So anyway, it's really fun. It, 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 we do it, I think it's every month. So for two for two weeks, maybe every six weeks. So I would say if anyone who's listening is interested, um, just let me know and I can I can invite you next time they have the, the open invite. But yeah, that's cool. what I'm into these days. That's cool. What about yourself? Like um, I'm back in a true crime television again. Ooh which I'm excited about. Netflix has been releasing a lot of really great stuff lately. Um, a few weeks ago, they did uh, The Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. Okay. Yeah, I and saw it, that came out. And it's only, and it's only four episodes um, each uh, on each topic, and it's super interesting stuff. So The Night Stalker is about how, you know, the development of the case, they interview all the cops that worked on the case and how they finally caught him and all that. And the newest one uh, that just came out this past week, it's about um, Elisa Lamb, who was the girl who disappeared from the Cecil mm. Hotel in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And then they found her body inside the water tower on top of the hotel like three or four weeks later. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the whole thing went viral because she was there was video of her in an elevator where clearly she was being chased or followed or she was worried about being chased or followed. And there was no leads. No, no one has any idea how she got up and how she ended up. Her body ended up in this water tower. So I've um, I've watched two of the four episodes so far. But Netflix has been doing a really great job on on these on these um, or you know buying the right ones. I should say the rights to the right to the right stories. Um, and they're just it's they're really interesting and, and actually uh, scary to watch because of course they put it all to crazy music, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most interesting part about this one with Elisa about Elisa Lamb is that all of the internet sleuthing that went on, mm-hmm. um, nobody felt the cops were releasing enough information. So all these internet sleuths were analyzing all the the uh, security footage, and they were you know doing making educated guesses about what she was doing and how she was doing or where she went and what she did. Um, so very very interesting. I actually okay. saw that last night as I was scrolling through and I thought it looked interesting. So yeah, I'll check it out. It's good. It's really good. The first episode is, it's just creepy. Like the whole, is that when she, do they show like the footage and now? Oh yeah. They, they yeah. actually play the, full, it's a, so it's a four minute video that the LAPD put together. They show the whole thing and it's just wow. creepy and they've got it. They've kind of, it's being narrated by the cop uh, that actually put it together. 
Um, I think actually the funniest part, and it's, it, it turns out it's a little bit of the comic relief, is that they interview uh, the woman who was the general manager of the hotel for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And she, she's, she's, I don't know. I don't a know character. if she's just a... She's, yeah, but not like... She's not over the top. She's normal. But like when you place her in this particular hotel, which was, you know, had a reputation for years. It's been open since the 20s. A lot of people have died there. It's near Skid Row. So they actually rent rooms by the week and the month. So they have residents and they're all, a lot of them are drug addicts. Um, A lot of them are people who just got out of prison and don't have any place else to go. And then you, they show her, this person who's running this hotel. It just doesn't match up. <laughs> so it, it almost it almost serves as a little bit of like comic relief. Mm. Um, but anyway, so she's like, you know, the one thing that kind of freaked me out is, or didn't freak me out, but I thought was interesting. She said in the 10 years that she was the GM, um, they called 911 thousands of times and at least 80 people died. Died, yeah. While she worked there for 10 years in the hotel. Mm. Well, I'll check it out. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. For uh, for our friends who are listening, please uh, follow us on Twitter, at Bros Politics. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon. And uh, we hope to see you on the next one. Thanks, man. Later.